Uh, Dear friends, discouragement can strike any of us at any time. It can bring us into either small periods of great uh, discouragement when all courage leaves us, all strength is gone, or entire seasons in which we simply don't have what it takes to go on. This can strike us personally. It can strike whole communities. And it comes upon Christians and non-Christians alike. And yet Christians have a place to go. In fact, sinners, all sinners, have a place to go, as we read in the words of our text, which you can find in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6b, where we have this word of God. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Looking to the Lord in these few moments, we wish to see the deep well of strength, the deep well of strength. Just to set the context, David here is heading home, home to Ziklag, a Philistine city which had been given to him by Achish, king of the Philistines. This is during the time in his life where he is uh, being hunted down by Saul. He has to flee. He does have a band of men with him. He has family. He has his wives, his children. But these 600 men of his with David had been on a raid, as he was accustomed to do. And they are now heading home, home to Ziklag. Those of us who have traveled away from home Uh, for a few days or weeks or months know what it feels like to be heading home. It's a good feeling to imagine the face of your spouse, uh, your children if you have them, other family and friends uh, there to welcome you and uh, how this must have been in the hearts and minds of David and his men. They had been fighting a war. Uh, They had much against them, but at least they were heading home. But as they come around the last bend in the road and turn their eyes towards Ziklag, they see a sight that shocks them to the very core. Instead of their homes, instead of the familiar faces of their family, uh, there is smoke, there is charred rubble, and there are ruins of what had been their home. And nothing else remains. All people are gone. The women, the children, everything. What has happened? Well, to understand this exact situation, about 16 months before this, David was being pursued by Saul, as we already mentioned, and he had grown weary of being on the run. And though he had been told by the prophet Gad in 1 Samuel 22, verse 5, depart and get thee into the land of Judah, he had not listened to to Gad. He had decided on his own course of action. He was deeply fearful of perishing at the hand of Saul. And so he says, There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Really, David, nothing better for you than to go to your enemies? It's hard to believe that this is the man who just a few years earlier as a young man had in the strength of the Lord all by himself, apart from the Lord, had slain Goliath. And now he is seeking safe haven in the place where 
Goliath had originally had his residence. And at first it seems to go all right for David in Philistia. He does have safety there. Achish accepts him and gives him a gift, a city, Ziklag. He's never had a city uh, ever since he's uh, been hounded by Saul. He really has nothing to his name. And here he has some residence, something to call his own. And from that base of Ziklag, David had been traveling here and there with his men, as we already said, uh, on expeditions. Uh, at first, he pretended that he was um, coming into Israel and taking cities of Israel captive. Uh, and he told Achish that that's what he was doing until the Philistine lords objected and said, how could we have someone like David uh, among us doing this? And from there on, he does uh, simply take safe haven and continues his work and continues to attack the Bedouin tribes around him. Spiritually speaking, however, for David, this was a time of great leanness, great darkness. He's leading a double life. He's seeking to secure himself and his own people. And as you turn the pages here in the first book of Samuel from chapter 22 on, you never read him calling on the name of the Lord. You never read of any indication of spiritual activity. His harp that he often used to, to write and sing psalms seems to have been laid aside. He, he's never calling for the ephod, uh, even though he has a bias of the priest with him. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be uh, communing with his God. For whatever reason, David seems to have no need of God at this time. Dear friends, I wonder if you can at all relate to David's backslidden condition. When we honestly look by the light of God's word into our souls and reflect, does this never happen to us to some or other extent? How long can we go without true communion with the Lord? How long can we go leaning on our own wisdom and devices? How long can we use David's words and live them out, there's nothing better for me than to follow my own devices. You see, even though David has enemies, Saul, those who are pursuing him, the Philistines, and here in this destroyed city, the Amalekites, David has a greater enemy within. David, his flesh, his own natural heart. And David, having taken safe haven with the Philistines, in another sense, he's given safe haven to unbelief in his heart and soul. Do you recognize yourself in David at all? It's very possible for God's people, even after they're saved, to turn from relying on God the gospel, Christ, the promises, lean on their own understanding, to try to figure out life themselves, to forsake the fountain of living waters and to hew out cisterns that can hold no water. Life just seems easier that way, to live off of experiences in the past, 
to have a Christian profession in our back pocket and to go on as practical atheists, not living out of true and living communion with the Lord. And our joy will go away. It will flee away. And we settle, don't we? We settle for the doldrums of simply Christian profession that grows emptier and emptier day by day. We live a lie. Our mouth becomes a vehicle whereby we lie to others. And our life, really, when it comes down to it, is a lie. We have a profession. We have a character. We have a calling. We have our seminary work. And yet, inwardly, there's unbelief. There's coldness. There's death. Congregation, when you see this for yourself, then whatever finger you've been pointing at David comes to be pointed at yourself. You realize that you need a change. You need a deep change. And what a grace there is in God to take someone like David, so privileged, so highly exalted, and yet here, so far from the Lord, the Lord turns him back to himself. This brings us then from the need for strength to secondly, the way to strength. The way to strength. And here, first of all, we need to see what are not some ways that we can find strength. And, and the passage here is quite instructive for us. And the first lesson is there's, there's ultimately no strength in tears. No strength in tears. Look at verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, congregation, tears can be uh, wonderful. The Bible speaks of the tears of God's people coming into God's bottle. There can be tears of repentance, tears of joy even. But there can also be tears of bitterness, natural tears, even in God's people. Just a sense of anguish uh, that doesn't yield anything else and certainly doesn't give power. In fact, it drains power, as you see here. David and these people weep until there's no more power to even weep. Difficult circumstances can draw forth from our eyes and from our heart tears that in the end of the day don't remedy anything. And when we take that a little bit further, true strength does not come into our souls simply by outward or religious actions, even religious tears. We can't live off of them, can we? Even tears that bespeak the grace of God in our heart, we can't live off of them, can we? We need something more than that. And so the way to strength is, first of all, not simply through tears or through religious exercises in and of themselves. But secondly, the way to strength isn't either through human helpers. 
through human helpers. Because notice in verse 6 what happened to these 600 men that David was really uh, bound to. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So the people that were with him every day, that were bound in the bundle of life together with David, they are at this point turning against him. All of them are reaching for stones. All of them are lifting up their hands. There are 600 stones that are, as it were, directed at David. It's a wonderful thing when a Christian brother comes alongside of you, and listens to you, and challenges you, and reproves you when you need it, and supports you. The Lord can use his people in that. But in the end of the day, when the Lord is turning us from having forsaken him back to himself, we can't end with people. We can't end with human helpers as good and as godly as they may be. The Bible very clearly says, put no confidence in princes, nor on man for help depend. Man is but a feeble supporter, even at best. We need something more. And this brings us to the real way in which we can find strength. And it is in personal dealings with God as he's revealed himself in his word. Personal dealings with God. Why does it take so long for us to have dealings with God? Especially in trouble and in affliction. Especially in struggles and cross providences. Is he our go-to? Is he the first person we go to? That's the challenge of the words of our text. But David. But David. And notice that. This but indicates the, it's here adversial. Uh, He stands apart. In this moment with 600 men who were to be his brothers. And they're all against him. And he can't turn to a single one of them. He isolates himself and turns away from every other helper, all human helpers, and has personal dealings with God. But David. Dear friends, I wonder if you could put your own name there. Does that characterize you in this moment, at this point in the semester? And whatever trials and tribulations you're going through, but, and then your name. That's what it needs to become. But Jerry. But David. And when that happens, congregation, then it isn't the Amalekites who are our problems. Problem. Or the Philistines that are our problem. Or Saul that is our problem. But our problem becomes ourselves. Because in the face of God against whom we've sinned and from whom we've strayed times without number, we turn to him. We see it for what it is. It's my unbelief. It's my hardness. It's my sin. 
And in this moment, I believe that David, as he turns to the Lord, he sees in all the things that are happening to him, from Saul hunting him, the Philistines rejecting him, and the Amalekites emptying his home of everything, he sees God, God pointing at his heart, God having dealings with David. You see, whenever we have personal dealings with the Lord, it's ultimately because the Lord has initiated having personal dealings with us. When he points his finger on our heart, when he takes us apart, when he isolates us, when in providence he goes after us, sometimes, as the scriptures say, as a bear or as a lion, to corner us, to make us to realize who we are and who he is, that is the best thing that can happen if that drives us to our knees and drives us to have dealings with him. It's as if the Lord in all these circumstances, and now it comes home to David's heart, the Lord is saying to David, David, you have to deal with me. David, you have forsaken me. David, I've always been what I've always been. I'm the Lord who changes not, but you have changed. You have forsaken me. This is conversion. This is what we need every day. To turn from everyone and everything around us and within us and to have dealings with the God who reveals himself in providence and in his word. When the Lord brings our sins to our own conscience and heart and makes us to realize that we have not lived close to him we have not confided in him, that we have not depended on him entirely. Then the Lord is having dealings with us. And indeed, it looks and seems like he's emptying us of whatever strength we had left and that we were trying to shore ourselves up upon. And it seems like we fall further but the Lord is making us to fall upon him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Before we go on to see this deep well of strength, let me just ask you, where are you in relationship to the Lord? In seminary, we sometimes have a greater problem than people out in our churches and out in the world today because we have such a mask that lies over us. We have to be strong. We have to be religious. We have to be examples. Is there a ziklag in your life just now in which God is pointing to you and saying, whatever self-made strength you have left, it needs to go. And you need to fall entirely upon me, upon the Lord. And that brings us to our third and final point, and that is this deep well of strength. Because the way I picture it, dear friends, is that David here next to this heap of rubble that was Ziklag, he realizes that there was someone who was there all along, but he never saw. He had forgotten. He was right there. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That means that God was right there. God was right there next to Ziklag. 
He was there all along. But David was blind. David was hard. David was turned away from him. But God was there. And in in fact, in the words of the text, it is the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. That means the covenant God. The I am that I am, who in his very name shows that he changes not at all. We are so fickle, so random, so arbitrary. We turn on a dime. We can go to bed at night close to the Lord and wake up as cold as ice and continue like that until the Lord makes manifest to us that I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, you are not consumed. David, that's why you're still alive. Because my name is Jehovah. My name is Yahweh. I'm the all-sufficient one, the merciful one, the covenant God, the one who is the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, who does not always chide, neither keep his anger forever. And here the Lord reveals to David his heart of mercy and love and strength and grace for a guilty sinner like David. Here, outside of this heap of rubble, the Lord becomes precious to David once again. And David finds him. How? Because the Lord reveals himself to him. And he sees him. And he falls on him. And he returns to him. The Lord, his God. What a word. His God. You hear it, don't you? Luther said, true religion is in personal pronouns. He realizes that this God has made himself a sinner's God, the God of a sinner. He has come and he has attached him and his name to David's name. And so he is David's God. And we think highly of David, but in this moment, David's not thinking highly. Of himself. And so when God attaches his name to David's name, that's like the Lord saying, Blessed is the man who has the God of Jacob for his help, who has the sinner's God as his help and his strength. It's sheer mercy. God is not ashamed to be called the God of sinners like David. How can that be? Well, friends, it is because not only does the Lord stand next to the rubble of his people's failings and faults, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, so much more happened. You see, David here stands outside the smoking ruin. That was Zeklag. But at Calvary, dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ came under the fire came under the wrath, came under this force that would have destroyed each and every one of us and should because of our sin. But he went into that. He was bruised. He was afflicted. In order that he might show himself the God of sinners, in order that he might raise us up, in order that he might take our death to himself 
that he might give us his life. That's what it means for the Lord to be Lord. That's what it means for God to be the God of David and Jacob and you and all of us. That deep, that low, if that doesn't melt your heart, my dear friend, what will? God in the place of sinners. Christ, under the wrath of God, for David who could stay on the outskirts of Ziklag and find in God an all-sufficient helper. And you see, when David realizes this or something like this, then in a certain sense he dies to himself afresh and he rises again in Christ. He understands what Paul would later on open up as the mystery of the gospel, and that is, I am crucified with Christ. He offered himself as a living sacrifice for me, and I by faith and am him, and I have his righteousness and not my own. And therein is freedom and liberty, no matter what your circumstances are. You see, none of his circumstances have, as of this point, changed at all. Inside has changed, but not his circumstances. And yet there comes courage flowing into David's soul. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The Lord made him active with this. This is, for those of you who are taking Hebrew, this is a hithpael. That means there's a reflexive and there's an intensive aspect to this. David here casts himself upon the Lord with all his weakness, with all his lack of courage and lack of strength. And into him, for Christ's sake, flows everything. He would say it later in one of the Psalms, Thou strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Or it's like he says in Psalm 27 at the very end, Wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say. You see, that's what it means to encourage yourself in the Lord, your God. It doesn't mean that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But it means that you throw yourself with all your emptiness upon this covenant-keeping Jehovah who is such an overflowing fountain of all good. One who in Jesus Christ is the deepest well of strength imaginable. Oh, the depths. There is no bottom to what he can give us in our need. But then he becomes enough. Then he becomes more than enough for us. And then joy returns. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then we can go forward as David does here in this battle. The remarkable thing is that once he he encourages himself in the Lord his God... He calls for Abiathar. He calls for the ephod, this instrument of divine revelation in these times. He, he, he says, Abiathar, bring me the ephod. Tell me God's will. I need a word from God. I need to come under the call of God. I need his word. I cannot live by bread alone. I need to live from every word that proceeds out of his mouth. 
He hasn't needed the ephod, at least so he thought for the longest time, but bring me the ephod. You can tell a person who's encouraged himself in the Lord is God because he needs the word of God. It is his delight. It is his daily, it is his day, it is more than his daily meat and drink. Say unto my soul, I am thy savior. We need that communion with the Lord. We realize that that's our life. Nothing less and communion with the triune God. Well, dear friends, as we close this morning, I wonder, are you discouraged? Have you lost your courage, your strength? Is there a stone in your hand? Are you aiming your bitterness at others? Don't Try to draw strength simply from convictions, from tears, from frames, from nice feelings that you have here or there. These things run dry. You need the Lord, the covenant God, the God who is the God of sinners, for Christ's sake, the God who changes not, who's immutable, who's the same in all our changeability, and all the changeability of our circumstances and of people all around us, he is constant. He is who he is, who he was in eternity past, when in his heart, in the triune God, there was a way for you, sinner, to be saved through Christ. That's your strength. Wait on him, lean on him, rely on him, throw yourself with all your sin upon him and find in him everything that you need. I said at the beginning that David was headed home. Yet Ziklag was not his home. The Lord was his home. And he found the Lord. And he came home. Not because of David. He would have never reached home left to himself. But the Lord showed that he was right there for someone like David. I ask you, are you home? If not, why not? Is it because the Lord has changed? Is it because the Lord is far? You're far, but he's right there. He's right here next to the rubble of your life. Next to all your sin and shame. He's right there. And he calls and he says, I am the Lord. Why don't you turn and say it then? Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, hide me, shield me, shelter me, be all for me. I need nothing less than thee. The riches of thy grace, thy mercy to pardon my sin, to give me strength. And then there's a depth, dear friends, and I'll leave this for your meditation. What does it mean to encourage yourself in the Lord, your God? Isn't the character of God such a well of strength for your soul? The fact that he is immutable, that he is simple, that he is gracious, long-suffering. Not just the character of God, but the covenant of God. Oh, is there a greater 
strengthening thing than the covenant of God, that he comes to be in covenant in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with sinners. Oh, to dwell on that, to reflect on that. The character, the covenant of God, the Christ of God. Oh, what a depth, what a riches, what a strength comes into your soul when you realize all that is in Christ. Just a fraction of the doctrine of Christ can give you such strength to go to battle against every enemy of your soul. And the call of God. David had a calling. And he rediscovers that calling. Not apart from God, not apart from the covenant of God, not apart from communion with God, but he rediscovers that calling. And it's divine, and it's real, and it's powerful, and it is a merciful calling. And that calling once again becomes the joy of his heart. When you read the rest of this chapter, David is back. He's the anointed of the Lord once again. But he is that because the Lord has put strength in his soul. I don't know where you're at at this point in the semester. Typically, we all begin to slide and slip fairly early on in the semester when we're honest. But we often hit bottom at some or other point. Are you at the bottom? The Lord is there. Find your strength in Him. He will not disappoint. He's everything. He's more than everything. For Christ's sake, amen.